Good morning. I'm Bobby Hall, President of the Board of Trustees here at Monterey Center for Spiritual Living, and it's my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker this morning, um, who needs no introduction to many of you, but there's a few new faces here, so let me tell you. Reverend Liz Moranti has been a minister for Centers for Spiritual Living since 1999 and received her ordination in 2003. Reverend Liz hails from the Seattle area where she did her ministerial training and served on the staff of CSL, Centers for Spiritual Living, Seattle for 14 years while also raising two daughters. Between two several months stints teaching for the center in Ukraine, Liz served as senior minister at the Monterey Center for Spiritual Living from 2008 through 2013. She is delighted to be back in, Pacific, in the Pacific Northwest as of last June, not retiring, but rewiring. <laughs> A quote, from the Sufi master Meher Baba encapsulates the theme of Liz's ministry. Where love is present, the path to truth is joyous. Reverend Liz Morante. Thank you. Yeah, for a number of years when I'd guest speak, Bobby would say our own. I'd go, Bobby, Bobby, there's, there's lots of new people there. They'd go, what do you mean our own? So you can take me for your own, but you need to hear me speak first before we don't like to force anything on anyone. Uh, so good morning. It is so lovely to be here. There is and has been since I think this, this community's inception something very special. Part of it was in the 60s, this teaching was still relatively new. You didn't have the Deepaks and the Wayne Dyers. So it really was a lifeline for folks who were looking for something that was more expanded than what they grew up with. And I was so delighted speaking with um, Betty today, it's, she's a friend of Denise's, and this is her first time, she said there's something about the feel of this place, to know that there's something that you all continue to add and bring here that keeps a vibration, and yes, Meg certainly does, keeps a vibration of love here. So I'm glad to be here. Last week, the, your, your guest speaker said, thank you for inviting me, and I was going to say, well, I can't say thank you for inviting me because I invited myself. <laughs> but um, I'm still very grateful to be here and to uh, launch the month of love, February, the month of love. And by the way, also, in case you haven't read it on your Facebook feed, today is a very special day. Do you know why? Historic? Yeah, you do. Yep, you do because it's 02022020, which it will not, that palindromic, I don't know how you do the adjective of that, the palindromic date where it reads forward and backward the same will not happen again, I think, for 900 years. Other than that, I was going, well, is there some other heavy, deep, and real symbolism? 
I don't know. If you do, tell me after. But so that's fun. But really, I'm grateful to be here for the beginning of February. And in our um, movement, our organization should people choose, which some ministers do, some ministers don't. There's monthly themes and monthly talk suggestions. And this theme is the, the, this month's theme is the colors of love. And part of it is because it's the month of love and all the colors reminds us of being inclusive that until we really wake up, this is Black History Month. So to inspire and invite ministers to consider in the quotes they, that they bring in people of color because it's all colors that make this world work, something we seem to be forgetting lately. Um, so today's talk, which I stole from the outline, is called For the Love of God. Um, and what I especially love in focusing on love is it kind of gets us away from what sometimes we focus too much on in science of mind, because that's the name for our philosophy. Our teaching is the science of mind. And as we come into the teaching and start doing practices with the teaching, we often do an affirmation, my mind is the mind of God. God's mind is my mind now. And that's good. And God knows we could use some more heightened intelligence and wisdom in the world. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And for many of us, we come into this teaching, and Reverend Pamela kind of referenced this um, last week in her talk. We come into this teaching, whether we know it or not, because we are ready to give up being the victims of our own life. We are ready to recognize that there is a divine in us, that we can be captains of our lives, that we, if it's to be, it's up to me, that we can take that and shift our lives by being accountable and by knowing that there is something greater in us, that we don't have to be subject to all the stuff going on in the world. That is incredibly important. It's a step we cannot skip if we are to spiritually evolve. To say, if it's to be, it's up to me. There's um, one of my great teachers, and a great teacher in this organization is a woman named Reverend Dr. Marcia Sutton. And she and her teaching partner, a practitioner named Lloyd Strom, created lots of teaching materials for our evolution and deepening in this thing we call science of mind. And one of the things that they, teaching tool they came up with is talking about kingdoms of consciousness. And kingdom one is that place where we think everything's done to us. And when we move into kingdom two, we give up victimization, which sometimes we don't want to surrender that, do we? <laughs> Um, but kingdom two is where we don't say it's done to me, we say it's done by me. And so that's when our ego gets healthily developed and we start getting a sense of ourselves, our uniqueness, our strength, our magnificence. And for, 
for, I think for all of us, that is very key. But it's not the end of the story. Changing your life, knowing you can have work that you love, relationships that you love, parking places, abundance, prosperity in your life, that's very powerful. But it's not the end of the story. Kingdom three is when we start moving from things, everything being done by me, to things being done through me. Where we might shift from the mind of God is my mind now. The love of God is my loving now. For a lot of us, that mind is a lot more comfortable. It certainly sounds more safe and powerful to be an opening to be used can be scary. But y'all know what a difference love makes. Kiki is such a great person to sing today. She does everything with love. I don't think she can help it. (laughs) Somewhere long ago, it may have been her contract before she came on the planet, if you believe in such things. I know her mother was a great, your mom? Yeah, was a great evidence of that. She does everything with love. And her music is lifted because she does everything with love. And she lets that love come through her. You can feel it. We know everything's better with love. Cooking. All the cooking shows, I love cooking shows, they're always saying, you know, you can really tell this person cooked with love. A touch. There's a difference. You can feel if somebody touches you with love, Or if they touch you to be patronizing, if they touch you to put you down, you can tell. Work, you can tell people's work. If what they do, they do it with passion and love. There's a difference, isn't there? And there's even a difference if somebody gives you feedback or criticism. If they do it with love... You can tell, and aren't you more open to hearing it? Those are the teeniest examples of the difference love makes. And it's because when we act from that love, we are acting from our highest self, which in this teaching we consider our true self, what I call our our capital S self, not our small S self, not our ego. When we act from love and when we allow that love through us, it's better for us. I mean, think about when you're cramped down in resentment and hate. It doesn't feel good. I have a lot to cover, so I'm not going to have you go like this for a minute and see how hard it is. (laughs) But um, Ernest Holmes, who's the founder of this um, teaching says in his book, A New Design for Living, which is a great selection of essays, he has this um, section, The Power of Love, and he talks about his love practical. And he does this detail about love attracts, hate repels. Love attracts health. Hate repels health. Hate and its associated emotions cause the body to malfunction. And he talks about the rhythm of the heart, the gastrointestinal tract, 
the juices start eating into the lining of the stomach, the fluid secretions of the gallbladder, the joints become stiff and inflexible. All of this is when we have those, hold those negative emotions, causes our body to not work well. I mean, he knew this back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Love harmonizes. So it's, it's good for us. But really, you, we know love is good for the world. Martin Luther King said it this way, Hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. Doesn't that sound like Ernest Holmes? They must have been coming from the same source. (laughs) And Ernest Holmes says, Love does not overcome hate and fear by argument of force, but by some subtle power of transformation, transmutation, and sublimation, invisible in its essence, but apparent through its act. That we, we know this here, that love is a power beyond anything else. And we know people that bring that. We know Kiki. I had a um, father who, uh, not my father, a uh, father of a friend of mine who, start, who he and his wife became friends of my parents. And at a particular time in the life of their marriage, when they were sniping at each other a lot, and when the cocktails came out, there was more sniping, and it wasn't really very fun. And Jim, my beloved Jim Isaac, somehow had the ability to just come in and be there and redirect them, make them both not, stop it, Kathy and Tom, what are you doing? Somehow just make them both feel loved and okay. And I remember thinking, can, can he move in? But we, we've all known someone who brings that love with them. The air in the room changes. Your body changes. I know for me, the ministers that stand out most in my mind are not the most intelligent, even though those of you who know me know that I like to be in my head or I go to my head, but the ones who have been loving far outweigh the ones who had some particularly trenchant turn of phrase. It was their love and the way I felt held in that and embraced in that. And I felt like I knew something different about myself. Who has that been for you? Just remember that. Remember that. Because... Here's the thing that I think is true, that to truly be that love, to get out of our human love, because our human love has the duality. Love this, yeah, not that, not so much. 
I love this person until they start doing that. Any of you say that? So of our human personality, we can have love and we can expand that love. But to truly be that great love that shifts the room or just shifts the situation, we have to go to me, I think. We have to turn to God. And we have to turn to God as love in love. Not just as the mind of God being my mind now, guiding and directing my path, as in the heart of God being my loving now. I've been kind of steeped in Jesus lately. Um, I did a, a retreat right before Steve and I came down here with um, some folks who are actually continuing Marcia Sutton's work, and they do a lot on the power of Jesus Christ, which is a whole nother thing that I'm working with. Um, but we read a book, and I've read several by him, by Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan brother, um, called The Universal Christ. And he says this, He says, every time you choose love or positively connect with someone or something, you are in touch with the divine personality. You don't need to call it God. I call it God. So you can, you know, if that makes you run for the hills, you want to say higher power or goddess or Gaia or our beloved friend Bruce Card, the, the uniforce. But every time we choose love, that we can feel there's something greater in us, as one of this community's favorite songs says, there's something greater in us that opens up. Ernest Holmes, in the glossary, we have a big book we call the textbook that's called The Signs of Mine, and it's like this thick. And there's this great glossary in the back. And in the glossary, Ernest Holmes says, love is the self-givingness of God. Love is inseparable from God. You know, we've heard it said, God is love. We talked a lot about this in the opening, but we sort of read it and gloss over it. You have to know that that's what that infinite is more than a personality, more than the creator, God is that uniforce, that is love. And we've heard it, we've known it, but I think for many of us, and I include myself, that there's something that keeps us from fully turning and allowing that love. And it's time to stop it. But what, what is that? Why, why? Why don't we let that love of God in? For some of us, some of us are lucky enough, like Kiki, to have a parent that so reflects love that to make 
the step to God is love is nothing because we get it. But many of us had parents who for all the wide variety of reasons, and that could be a whole month's worth of talks, couldn't or didn't do that. And I know for years, for me, uh, my parents were very loving, but they were also needy. So opening myself to love meant felt like I had to hold. You know, and when somebody says God the Father, for some of us, that's like, no thank you. And so it's a leap over a humongous chasm to get to that place of love. Many of us feel that we don't deserve it. In fact, in this month's Science of Mind magazine that um, Denise was holding up, um, there's a minister, Michael Hiraoka, who uh, has a column. And that's what his column is this month, talking about he finally realized in some things that were going on with a woman who became his wife that he wasn't letting her love in. He felt like he had to run around and do all this special stuff to be loved. Anybody have that? You don't have to raise your hand. But you know who you are. That we feel that we need to somehow be some idea of perfect with the adjective unattainable or adverb unattainably perfect. That we have to be unattainably perfect for God to love us. the heck we get that? I mean, yes, I kind of do. There are scriptures and there are interpretations of scriptures that say that. This guy Richard Rohr I've been talking about, he says, if you are frightened into God, it is never the true God you meet. If you are frightened into God, if somebody tells you that God is the big punisher in the sky, like a bad Santa Claus, He's making a list and checking it twice. That's not the true God. If you are loved into God, then you are meeting what is true, what is real. And Jesus was trying to make this point. Even in the Hebrew scriptures, before Jesus' time, God started saying, God does not require your sacrifice. And Jesus, in one of my favorite parables, the prodigal son. If you're familiar with that, the son wants his inheritance right away, goes off, blows it, becomes indigent, is working, taking care of pigs, which for a Jewish young man would be the desecration, humiliation beyond all. And he said, this is ridiculous. If I worked at my father's house, I would be treated much better than that. He goes home, thinking he's going to beg to work in his father's field. And the father sees him from afar and runs out to meet him and embraces him. This is what God is like. And whether you grew up Christian or not, whether you want to, you know, we could also spend 10 months on or five years on some of the things that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ. But this is what he is trying to tell us, that God is. 
It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've been, how you've screwed up, how you've been less than the love that really we know we are, because we do. You know, no matter how it's been covered over, there's something in us when it gets truly reminded, says, oh yeah, that is who I am. That is who I am. As soon as we make the tiniest turn to that direction, that presence of love runs to meet us. Why is that so hard for us to get? It is, but let's say, and I'll do a prayer for it at the end of this talk, that we let that go. Keeping those blocks against love does not serve us. Keeping ourselves blocked up from what is the greatest love that we will ever know, that source that is always continuing, that can never be extinguished, ever, that we can't use it up, that it is, love is the gas station that never runs out again. I mean, it just doesn't. Now, just a leather little side note is that for some of us who are raised in the Christian church, there's something else. It's the cross thing. And I, I bring this up because I was at a retreat once where we were talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, whether just the relationship in our mind or what we thought about it. And this attendee at the retreat just burst out, I am so tired of it. I am so tired of being to blame for why Jesus died on the cross. He died for my sins. I didn't ask him to. You know, on the one hand, you could say this is ridiculous. But I think there were those of us, that was an interpretation. If you want to know what it's called, it's called substitutionary atonement. Which, we don't know it by that name, but we've, many of us have heard, Jesus died for your sins, meaning because we were so bad, Jesus had to die that horrible death. And Richard Rohr, bless him, says that that was one person who started that school of thought. It was a long time ago. But he looks at other of the ancient teachers and looks at his own understanding, and he spends a lot of time in communion with God. And his idea is, and I'm not going to go on a whole long thing about this, but his idea is that the cross and Jesus dying this horrible death was God's way of saying, yes, I understand human suffering. And I will, through my son Jesus, and we're all sons and daughters, so don't think that I participate in that human suffering. And, and, remember the cross is not the end of the story. And the promise that life in its ups and downs, but in its really sometimes painful, crappy downs, may change us, but we can also be transformed. 
by the whole enchilada of life. We can be resurrected. That that is the promise. So that's just an aside. But for any of you that that was a chord, yeah, but what about this whole thing? How can God love me if I kill this, you know? That that's just a limited understanding. And if you want to talk to me about it afterwards, I'm happy to talk to you about that. So I think those are kind of the major blocks we can have. And besides right now, I don't know about you, but with the situations in the world for the last couple of years, it's hard for me to not close down. If I open to love, I make myself vulnerable. Now, I am also, in the one hand, unassailable. If I know God is with me, who can be against me? Well, my heart hurts. That's why, and I think I've said this almost every time I've come up here, that's why we need daily spiritual practice to keep that heart from closing down, to keep ourselves from being more fascinated by the horrible things going on on the planet than that love of God, which can't be touched, which can't be touched. And my and your ability, if we tune into that every day, to then go out into the world and be that love in the face of no matter what, is really what the world needs right now. Yes, it, it, it needs some intelligence, too, and some wisdom. But it needs our love. It needs us to go beyond the things that show up. We go, how can they do that? What an idiot and hate vibe. You know, Ram Das, who, who, who left us recently, he, was it Ram? I think it was Ram Das. He would put a picture of Nixon on his altar and say, until I can really look at that picture of Nixon and feel love, I have not transformed. I don't know who that would be for you. <laughs> but, you know, we thought that was the worst, some of us thought that was the worst things can be. And maybe that doesn't call to you, and maybe you don't have an altar. But that idea that it is incumbent, and especially now upon us as human beings, to access that love, so we can be that love. One of my favorite messages of Richard Rohr is God's love is inclusive also, Again, because I've been reading a lot about reminding about Jesus, um, Steve and I are going to Israel at the end of the month, so I've also been reading about reminding myself of his parables and where he did his teaching, you know, so I'll be at the spots that he may have been or may not, but we know he was in Israel. <laughs> um, but he reminds us that Jesus' teaching, therefore God's love is inclusive, all-inclusive. The good Samaritan, Samaritans were... And that's the one who helps the guy who was hurting. That Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. God's love 
is inclusive. It's always the bigger circle. Remember, it's the circle that has no circumference. Maya Angelou reminds us that in the flush of love's light, we dare to be brave. Without that tapping into that presence of love that is greater than us, we can't be that bravery that the world needs. It takes bravery and courage to go out and be loved in the face of. And suddenly we see that love costs all we are and will ever be. So it is scary. But it is only love that sets us free and starts setting the world free. Ernest Holmes quotes Ashley Montague, unfortunate name, um, in saying that love is interdependence. So love is that knowing of oneness and unity that everyone matters. No one and nothing left out. And that what we see love as that we need everyone to make this world the most beautiful that it can be. So that's what we're up to, folks. And if you're here, if you came here, it's because something in you knows that. And knows as you go around and give your gifts to the world, as you explore, as you expand, as you play, as you fight with your partner, as you make mistakes, as you try again, that it's all about moving into that greater love, that one love that unites us all. So let's pray. So right here, right now, I claim what millions upon millions before me have claimed, that God is love. And that love is greater than any prejudice. That love is greater than any littleness. That love is greater than any terrible situation. That love is greater than anyone's misbehavior. That love is infinite, ever-expanding, ever-renewing. And I know that there is no place, no time, no space where God's love does not exist. And there is no time, no space, no place where I can be apart from the love that is God unless I choose it. And so right here and right now, I choose that love. I choose to have the love that God is be my love now. That I open to have that love move through my being so that all my little prejudices, all my little missteps are now cleansed, transformed, and expanded by the love of God, so that I may see situations newly, that I may come in and behave newly, that I may be the healing force wherever I go. That 
which transforms and transmutes situations into one that is the highest and best for all concerned. That as I fill up on love, I see my life as one with an intention to serve and bless the planet and everyone in it, every place I go. That that love is what it takes for me and for all of us to create the world that works for everyone. And in that love, knowing that we are one, there is one love that unites us, one love that sets us free. One love that lifts us into greater and greater expression. And knowing that any blocks to this love are being dissolved, and knowing and speaking this for everyone in this room who chooses to be included, I give thanks that I know that as I turn to that love that I am never turned away. I am lifted. I become that love. I give thanks for this. I release this word knowing that it is already working. It is already done. And so it is. Amen. <laughs>